Hey y'all, welcome to Beautifully Healthy. I'm Dr. Allison Key and I'm joined today by PA extraordinaire Erica Smith. Hello. And our good friend Chelsea Downs. Hi guys. So today we're talking about um, what has traditionally been a taboo topic and no it's not vaginas, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get that out of I don't the way. Know, it's, it's relatable. I am putting a disclaimer on this right now that we are going to forbid the talk of vaginas for the remainder of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if that's possible because we are talking about. It's not going to be possible. Be <laughs> we are talking about postpartum depression. So after a baby comes out of your vagina, <laughs> or if you have a C-section, <laughs> sometimes. Anyway, postpartum depression. Traditionally, it's been a taboo topic because everyone, society at large, whatever, thinks you should be thrilled to have this new little life. And for the most part, we are, you are, whatever. But I think one thing that the three of us have in common is we've all experienced either and or postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, and it is no joke. So about 10, more than 10%, probably closer to 15% of women who have babies in the United States experience either postpartum depression or anxiety. And I would say closer to 90% of women um, have baby blues, which is more just like the mood swings, the crying spells, but generally happy and able to take care of your baby. Um, postpartum depression is more serious than that. Postpartum anxiety is more serious than that. It is, um, it lingers more than two weeks. It um, often interferes with your ability to cope and to function and to adjust or to sometimes even taking care of your child. Um, so it can be serious. So um, Chelsea actually volunteered to come on today because she knew we were going to, you know, this is going to be one of our podcast topics. And she has wanted to come on and kind of share her experiences. So thanks for being willing to share, Chelsea. Of course. Tell us a little bit about your experience with postpartum. So I have three babies. With my first one, I was lucky. I never had any of that experience. With my second, she was born prematurely. And um, she was in the NICU for four weeks. And I'll try not to get emotional about it's this because right. it was a really hard time for us like not expecting obviously for your child to ever have anything wrong with them um and then ha them have to be in the hospital an hour plus away from all your family and your loved ones and i was trying to take care of my oldest at the same time and i just was trying to do it all and i couldn't juggle it and i just let myself basically just get really really sick trying to figure out how to be super mom like i think we all are guilty of doing and i like I said, I ended up letting myself get really, really sick. I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't really take care of my kids. Like my house was a wreck all the time. I just really was just miserable. I couldn't move. Like I couldn't get off the couch. Like it was awful. And I actually ended up in the hospital and I really feel like I, it was all like me getting sick was all because of me, the postpartum, not me taking care of myself. And I feel like what's so important is that as moms, like I said, we all try to be super moms and it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Like it's okay to say, hey, I need some help. Like I can't do it anymore. And that was kind of like my biggest thing is I didn't want to to stop and say, something's actually wrong with me. 
you know, you're trying to breastfeed, you're trying to make sure that your baby is taken care of. So the last thing that you think about is taking care of yourself. So it was just, I mean, that was the biggest, like with my postpartum depression, I ended up having to take um, some medication for it for a short time and I got over it and I was perfectly fine. I haven't had to take medication since then for anything other than that. I've never been one that really struggles too bad with anxiety, but it can happen to all of us. Like we're all susceptible to it. And then with my son, who is 11 months old, I had really bad postpartum anxiety where I would just constantly like, I mean, by three kids, you would think I'd be pretty laid back and chill (laughs) about everything, but it was a constant like, what's going to happen? Like, is he breathing? Is he getting enough food? Like it was just a Every day, like you can ask my mom, she was like, "Gosh, this girl is psycho." Like, even, is I'm like on? diagnosing you on the air here, but I even wonder if some of that is maybe a little bit of PTSD after yeah. what you went through, um, post-traumatic stress disorder after what you went through right. with Sailor. Yeah, if you know right that just wasn't kind of made me that way partially related yeah because like everything that I would do I would second guess myself and think well god is something gonna happen you know like what if you know x happened and I would have these crazy thoughts like of just really dark stuff that is just not like my personality Mm -hmm. and I was nursing him and I've been nursing him so I was super not wanting to take anything this route so I've just kind of you know just tried to make sure I got like my own time to myself this time around and talk to people about it and thankfully like this time it wasn't as bad as it was with Sailor and I got over it on my own so I think it's just you know all personal dependent and situational dependent and like talk to somebody well that's what i I think is key is be as having people in your life or surrounding yourself with people who you can talk to who you can say i'm struggling yeah i'm struggling emotionally i'm struggling physically i can't get off the couch whatever it is you know that you can talk to and they can say okay i'm coming over don't worry about the baby i got the baby i got the laundry i got this i got that yeah um and I think they have to have a good mom support group too. Like I think saying, oh, just let me know what you need. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just come out and say, okay, I'm going to come over. I'm bringing you dinner. Give me the kids and we're going. Yes. When you are depressed, you don't know what you need. Right. I could not verbally say, could you come and do laundry or right. could you come? Because then not, I mean, you're just piling you feel even on your guilt. Yeah. Because and like, again, a lot of moms, you feel like you're you're getting judged yes like you're getting judged and you feel like you're supposed to be able to do everything every you know Susie down the street does it all and always has her makeup done always has her hair done I hate Susie I'm kidding I'm kidding (laughs) for coming up rolling up to the school you know in your yoga pants or whatever you feel like you're being like the worst mom ever but I think you know it's a facade I think we all struggle some of us just hide it better or put on a better facade for Correct. the public, for the pickup line. You know, all of us are, for, if we're being honest, most of us are just barely keeping our heads above water. Exactly. It's like this, the state me. of mind. <laughs> I know like my dad had just committed suicide after in, in August and David and I had been trying for years to get pregnant. And so, and unsuccessfully. And so our doctor in the spring had talked to us about, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I think the next step is going to be IVF and we'll refer you out. And um, David just wasn't sure he really wanted to go down that route. He was like, maybe, maybe it's okay just us. And I'm one of those gals, like, 
I never thought I wouldn't have kids. Like in my mind, I always was going to have kids. Like that was just part of the plan. And I'm like, all right, God, like I have gone to school. I have gotten married. Like I'm trying to do this thing in all the right order. Give me a baby. (laughs) So my dad dies in August and seven days later, long story short, I find out I'm pregnant and it was, you know, I feel, I tell, I've said Daedalyn, you know, you saved my life. Like it really was such a hard time. And then I had this baby to, to hope for and hold on to. And, and then about halfway through our pregnancy, we had the testing come back that said she was positive for Down syndrome. And I was like, I will say that I think that's probably the only time in my life I've been angry at God. Like, why would you do this to me? Not that I wouldn't love that baby. I, I was going to love it and take care of it regardless of what was wrong with it. But you know, your, your hopes and dreams for your child, when you think that something is going to be wrong like that, kind of go out the window. You're like, okay, we got to rethink this whole rest of our lives thing. And I just really prayed. And God told me like, I know this makes me sound like a crazy person, but he did. He told me like, she's going to be fine and I, she's healthy and I have a special purpose for her life. So I just clung to that promise. And after she was born for the first six months of her life, David would hug her and kiss her and love on her and hold her and look at her. And he'd say, are you sure she doesn't have Down syndrome? (laughs) I'm positive. She's not have Down syndrome. And she's healthy and she's fine. Um, But that was a really, after having her, it was a really emotional time. I wouldn't say at that point I had postpartum depression. I think most of that was kind of lumped in with grieving and the hormone changes and whatnot. But then I had Luke and I had a bad epidural. She went the CRNA went a little too far with the the needle and she knew I'd have a spinal headache so she wound up giving me a little extra dose of fentanyl without really telling anybody and I can look at a bottle of Benadryl and want to take a nap <laughs> so I said I don't feel so good and lost consciousness and I remember the nurse saying her blood pressure just bottomed out and I was I remember thinking to myself they need to call a code I'm gonna die they need to call a code but I couldn't talk I was you know I lost consciousness well they you know anyway they got me sort of stabilized back out but I did have this horrible spinal headache they tried out blood patches the you know several different procedures Long story short, Luke and I laid in the bed together. Luke's my son. We laid in the bed together for eight days straight. I could not, I had to lay completely flat. I could not sit up more than about 15 degrees without having the most excruciating pain of your life. And it's because that spinal fluid is kind of leaking out. You're leaking a little bit, so your brain kind of sinks. I mean, it's a natural physical headache. It's miserable. So we laid flat. So during those eight days, my mother and my mother-in-law were, and several friends too, were just champions like they just showed up I was completely helpless and if y'all know me that is horrible for me (laughs) you know I'm like I'm the I got it I got it I'll take care of it yes I'll do it kind of gal so do not be able to do anything yep (laughs) (laughs) I am not Susie Uh, but to not be able to do it was was awful. But that is a time, a season in life where I feel like God taught me that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to accept help. It's one thing, you know, for people to come and help, but to be okay with them coming and helping. And so I kind of learned that then. But then after that, I don't know if it was that time, if it was hormone changes, if it was having... If it was the hormone changes related to having a boy versus a girl, if it was everything that had happened in the past two years, because in the meantime, my father-in-law had died, we had grandparents die. It was, you know, just a really hard couple of years for us there and wonderful with our children being born. But I remember laying in the bathtub one night, just trying to soak, trying to like take care of myself, trying to get myself together and thinking my whole family would be better off if I would just go under this water and take a big breath. And I, and I was still at myself enough to say, what in the world? Like, where did that 
thought come from? I mean, it honestly felt like it was my voice saying it and I felt it, but I knew that that wasn't logical. So I started on some medication too. And, you know, six or eight, nine months later, I was able to come off of it and have been okay. But that was a scary, scary feeling. That was my exact same thing was I remember thinking I was driving down the road back from the trip from Atlanta back and forth. um, And I remember thinking, you know, if I just drove off the side of the road, like everybody would be happier. And that was exactly the same thing. I said, I need to see somebody about this now because, like, this is not okay. Like, you can logically think in your mind, no, that's not okay. And a lot of people don't, though. Like, they let it get so bad. And that's why it's just so important to just talk to somebody, anybody. If you're feeling like that, just tell somebody ever, even if it's not postpartum, if you're just feeling like in any sort of depression. Definitely. It's so important to have a, a good support system. Not everybody has a support system. It's it's awesome when you've, you know, prayed for and planned for a baby. It's hard when you have an unexpected presence, uh, you know, pregnancy. We all hope and pray for healthy children. It's hard when you have a sick child. It puts a strain on your relationship that you never mm-hmm. planned oh, for, for sure. you know. And while you love that person you made a child with... You want to wring their neck. This, mm-hmm. Everybody reacts to that stress differently. Yeah. Well, and I think it is also hard when, okay, so Ryan, when I had mine, Ryan doesn't believe in anxiety or depression or does not think that it even exists. So when I'm sitting here telling him the way I feel, he was like, it's not a big deal. I just need to get up and shake yeah. it off. And you're like, that's not So that works. support, not, him not understanding, I think is also makes it worse because then you feel like you tell yourself, oh my gosh, like maybe I am crazy. Maybe it's mm-hmm. just all in my head and I need to get, no, you don't. You've got to talk to somebody because it's truly a chemical imbalance. And I, you know, I can understand that if you've never suffered with anxiety or depression, it's hard to understand. Right. Because if you've never been there, you don't understand it. And so sometimes I think that that's why we go through the things we go through so that we can reach back and help somebody else go through it, Um, especially in healthcare. There's so many situations in my life that I've been through that have been difficult, but I've been able to help somebody who was basically walking through the same valley. Like, I've been there. You're going to come out of that. But... I think it's hard for Christian people to to deal with anxiety and depression because I had a patient one time, a young lady who was just crying and crying and crying in my office, and she'd gone to talk to somebody about the way she was feeling. She went to talk to her pastor about the way she was feeling, and he told her that she wasn't truly saved if she was feeling this way, that it was a matter of lack of faith and a matter of you know a matter of not having enough faith, and that she probably needed to rethink her salvation if she was feeling this way and I looked at her I hugged her and held her and I gave her tissues and I looked her square in her face and I said your pastor's ignorant and I mean that in the truest sense of the word this is not a choice and it's not a lack of faith if you could wake up tomorrow and choose to feel a different way obviously you would this is not something you choose could God take it away from you is he the ultimate healer of course he could but again, like I said, sometimes we go through things so that we it's preparing us to help somebody else. It's not in vain. We're, we're being prepared right. to help somebody else. Talking to the right person is important, too, if you're not finding the support you need from somebody else. I, you know, I don't know. That was, that flabbergasted me. Depression, anxiety, whether it's postpartum or situational or whatever else, that is as real as high blood pressure. Oh, yeah or diabetes or anything else. And just like for high blood pressure diabetes, are there things you can do on your own to help? Certainly. Right. A good clean diet, exercise, sunshine, drinking plenty of water, seeing a counselor, those are all things that can organically help you get better. 
But sometimes that's not enough. And when how you feel and what you know logically, so you know God loves you and you're a worthy person and your children and your husband need you and people love you and are going to miss you if you're dead, you know that logically, but you don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. That's what depression and anxiety, that's where it lies. Mm-hmm. Then that is the chemical imbalance. And what the medicines are designed to do is to kind of bring those two things together, to line those things back up. You know, it was hard, you know, as like you said, we're all trying to be super mom. It was hard to accept that I need to take the medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of swallow your yeah your pride. Definitely. Um, well, and I think being healthcare providers, I think everybody kind of puts us on a different level. Like we should automatically have mm-hmm. our crap together. We don't. I mean, we're normal human beings. Yeah. And it's, and the struggle is real. Oh, it is. For sure. Very I mean, real. after Maddox, Especially. like with Chelsea, I mean, after Maddox was in the hospital, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I'd already been away from my oldest. Mm-hmm. Having Maddox, I was put in the hospital during my second pregnancy, and then Maddox was in the hospital for two weeks. My niece had just had open heart surgery. Like, that was a rough year, Mm -hmm. and it just kind of kept spiraling. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's how it always happens. It's just like, you know, you kind of feel like you're getting your head above water, and it's like, oh, just kidding. And you just kind of sink deeper down into it over and over again, and it's just hard to get yourself back out of it and realize where you're kind of at. It is. It is. And, you know, I guess what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, so to speak, but sometimes I don't know if it's stronger or if it's just smarter, more sympathetic, more empathetic, kinder. You know, there are a lot of things that you can say you are because because of the struggles you've been through. It doesn't make it any easier when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. But I think, like you said, it makes it where you can relate to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't understand why God, between my two boys, I had a miscarriage. I thought that was probably one of the worst times of my life because I felt like it was me. Yeah. But now that I have patients coming in, I know exactly the way they feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I had a patient recently talking, you know, just, and I'm, I'm not trying to bash men, but I think it, it's hard sometimes for men to understand that. Yes. When, when they don't carry right. the right. baby. Right. You know, when you've had a miscarriage, that baby, whether it was six weeks, eight weeks, three months, six months, whatever that was, that baby's as real to you as your mm-hmm. child that's walking around mm-hmm. laughing and talking. I mean, that sure. that doesn't go away. I right. mean, that that's that's real and legit. And, you know, I I think, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but Aileen was the first baby David ever really held. My husband ever really held. He was terrified. <laughs> I remember the first time I left her, she was probably a month old. And I was like, I'm just literally running <laughs> down the road to the store. I've already, you know, I was right. breastfeeding. She's already been fed. She's been changed. She's going to be asleep till I get back. Just hold her. Just keep her alive. Right. And I'll be back, you know, in probably 10 minutes. We live right. in a small town. I'm going to the convenience store. I'll be right back. Got to get a pack of cigs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joking. I don't remember what I was going to the store for, but I really just needed, like, I just need... A few minutes. A few minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when I got back, he was like literally, I don't even know if he blinked, you know, like he, his, his arm was, and I used to have to like, every time he would hold her, I'd, I'd have to get a pillow. Like, I need you to get a pillow. Put it right here. No, just adjust a little bit. You know, yes. and like when you're a mom, you're slinging a baby on one side right. and you're cooking supper on the right. other side. You're loading Pumps attached to one. <laughs> yeah. Pumps on one boob, babies on the other one. Yes. You know, there's not, you're doing 15 things every at one time. time. And he's holding the baby and needing me to adjust the pillow under his elbow. It's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, what are you, are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan was just saying, Ryan conveniently got a GI bug as soon as I delivered Cole. 
<laughs> he had to go home because he literally his anxiety had made him so sick that he was like throwing up. Not to mention, I just had my ab- abdomen flayed open. Yeah. yeah, I'm on blood pressure medicine, and my son's here. They took my son back to get circumcised, and you're going home because your anxiety's bad. Oh my gosh, I could have lost it. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Though. Yes. you know, like I've had nine months to prepare right. for this baby to come mm-hmm. into the world, like mentally, emotionally. And it wrecks you. Nice. It wrecks you in every, every way. Those hormones are no joke. But even though, like, he was excited about the baby and was ready to meet the baby and, like, to feel feel her moving in my belly, like, he didn't really get it mm-hmm. until she was here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. we have a baby. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we, we have a like baby. A real human. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a real person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have a, a friend, a good friend, who had severe postpartum anxiety and depression. And she wound up in the hospital one time with it, you know, for several days, almost just catatonic, just couldn't talk, couldn't function, hadn't bathed, just not able to. So she was hospitalized. Um, Her husband also just didn't get it. You know, he loved her, he wanted her to be fine, but I don't get it. Like, why can she not just snap out of this? And it was like every baby she had, it got a little worse, which is true. You know, if you've had it once, it kind of predisposes you to happen again or if you have a history of anxiety depression those hormone changes and life changes just kind of amplify yeah Yeah. just kind of but i used to tell her with her after her first baby you know she'd be worried it was more like anxiety and she'd be worried about this or that and i'm like look crackheads have babies every day Mm -hmm. and they don't die you're fine he's fine it's fine and that that's sort of a side note you almost have to try to hurt a baby Mm -hmm. you know god designed them to be resilient little creatures you know they're gonna roll off the couch or the bed probably being watched by their dads (laughs) (laughs) but you you almost have to make an effort to hurt a baby but i used to say crackheads have babies every day and they're okay they're living they're surviving they're fine you're doing a good job don't worry about it you know am i feeding him enough am i not feeding him enough am i feeding him too much you know he's fine it's fine. Everything's fine. Right. Um, but this ain't no joke. And that's why we wanted to talk about it because mm-hmm. I, I think we're fortunate. We all have each other here at work and we sort of know each other's stories. You know, there are no, there are very few secrets among us here. We're all up in each other's business about everything, but in the best way, I right. think. But it also creates that supportive environment where, mm-hmm. girl, I've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get yeah. it. Like, it's tough. And I think that was pretty, like, with Sutton, I said that I got through that pretty easily. But I also talked to Erica a lot about yeah. it because she also went through the same thing just a year before that. Right. And she also was like, I'm, I don't really want to take anything or whatever. So I talked to her and went bounced off her experiences because I'm like, I'm not going through this again. Like, we're yeah. not about to do this again. And it helped, like, really just, you know, just having Being that. Being able to relate to somebody. Yeah. yeah. So. And, make, and it makes you feel like you're not alone. Yeah. Like, I feel right. like a lot of times you get in this place and you're like, man, I'm the only one that feels like this. Mm-hmm. Nobody else everybody else is being super mom like you said mm-hmm. and Susie homemaker is miss pinterest mom down the street and <laughs> i can't even get out of my yoga pants right. <laughs> and it's all about perspective too you it know is. Susie doesn't have any more together than anybody else does mm-hmm. or maybe she has this part of her life together right. but everything else is falling apart or yeah. whatever you know we're yeah. all kind of doing the best we can but it means so much to have somebody who just kind of proverbially takes your hand yeah links arms with you whatever says girl we're gonna get through this together right. like Mm-hmm. We're going to do this. You're going to be okay. You're going to come out on the other side of this. This is totally okay. It's not your fault. You didn't choose this. 
Right. You know, well, I think it's a lot easier too because we all have kids around the similar age, so we've yeah. all been in the same boat right. recently. Yeah. Right. Yes. Lord help us all. Because I remember looking at you when we were at primary care Beamer and saying, "Oh my gosh, I don't know how she does it. Like your kids were sick all the time, and now I'm looking at my Here life and are. I'm like, I'm her. I'm her. <laughs> Turning into her. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> the good news is it's gonna you get, get better. Past this. Yes. Yeah. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. We're getting there. It's yeah. gonna get yeah. better. And mine, my kids are six and eight now. And if I could freeze time right now, I would like they're just fun. Right. Yeah, Chris, Christmas was magical. Right. Disney's, you know, it's still magical. Yes. You know, it's just fun it's right now. Age. They like me. I like them. They they're wipe their own butts. I was about to say, because they can go to the bathroom by themselves. They're not. My three-year-old oh, still has wait. to come tell me every morning, Mommy, I need to go TT. That is fine. I don't need to know. You can go and go back to bed, please. Mind your business. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I don't need to know. It it's 6.30. <laughs> go to sleep. I just feel like I'm in this little golden moment yeah. before yeah. my oldest kind of hits those middle school coming. I don't know. Oh, Ada Lynn, I don't think she's ever going to turn into that diva. I hope not. She's a sweet little soul. Stella not. will for sure. I already <laughs> see it's little. I don't know. Brewing. Stella is super she sweet. I think Stella is sweet. She's got an attitude yes. like no other guys. Um, just with you though. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still. I'm That's like, okay. Lord, I can't wait until she's 13. It's going to be so much fun. No. <laughs> Sailor's going to give you a run for your money. Oh, yeah. I don't even want to think about Sailor. Sailor's the pre-me, so y'all just pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> How old is Sailor now? She is three. She'll be four in June, and she's perfectly healthy. She's tiny, but she is perfectly she healthy is baby fierce. now. And, yeah, she's a little red-headed fireball. Don't let her size yeah. fool you. <laughs> she is very small but mighty is all we can say. Like, But you and uh, Daniel are neither one like ginormous people right. either. Yeah. And, and that's Stella's what, petite, too. Yeah. So That's what they've ruled it out to be just genetics so yeah she's fine she'll catch up (laughs) she'll be fine (laughs) and if she doesn't she's got enough personality to take care of you're not gonna run over her (laughs) (laughs) the redheads i didn't realize how many redheaded kids we have up here though yeah there are a lot could you imagine them like really all together like in a small room Mm -mm. it was bad enough at thanksgiving yeah the kitty fight club that was was going on it was like that wrestling boxing ring yeah there was like a little (laughs) wrestling ring going on you know boys just like to wrestle and there were kids on the piano and there were (laughs) children singing and there was there were others eating and in my mind i feel like there were some swinging from the light fixtures but i don't know that that actually happened it just kind of felt like that's what was happening because i think all together when i counted i think among our staff we have like 30 kids between us i felt outnumbered yeah and the majority of them more i mean like i would say 75 percent of them are like less than 10 years old yeah oh yeah I'd say less than that. Yeah. Probably less than eight. There's only, you know, three or four, like, older older, older kids. Yeah. They're and all they're littles. not much older. No. Either. And they're all heathen children. <laughs> At least when they get together, they <laughs> act know. like heathen children. Uh-huh. When Santa and Mrs. Claus were so kind to have us all out, oh, I thought they were going to take back their invitation because... <laughs> we might not get one next yeah. year. <laughs> they, they, the, the, but I love how the kids love each other. Yes, they just love to be with each and other they, and play. Yeah, and they play so nicely. Yeah. You can just let them run. Yeah. Just don't have to worry about them. So there's a lot at the end of the tunnel. Those, those babies get older and their immune oh, yeah. systems kick up and... We're going to be good. Yeah. It, it gets better. I may need that candle back that I gave you. 
I burned that sucker. <laughs> it's gone along with the Lysol. <laughs> and the Clorox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, Ryan buys that in bulk. I mean, y'all know my neurotic husband. Going, going to Sam's for the oh my gosh. Lysol. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised he literally does not Lysol me as I walk in the door. <laughs> Get the broom out for your shoes. Oh, yeah. My kids I, know how to Swiffer and vacuum probably more than I do. I did Lysol Luke one time last year uh, before he went to school and when he came home they were having this when they had that flu outbreak yeah and i think there were like 10 or 12 kids from his class that were out with a flu so i would like i'd say close your eyes and hold your breath <laughs> spray him down with lysol before he left and when he came home <laughs> not that is not a recommended <laughs> medical <laughs> but as a mom sometimes you vary outside of your medical yeah, training yeah. that's what you gotta do <laughs> all right so the bottom line um if you're if you're struggling whether it's after having a baby or any other time talk to somebody you know reach out to somebody who you trust um somebody who can help steer you in the right direction you are not alone there are a lot of us who have been there and done that who are willing to hold your hand and and help you get through it if your friend is struggling if you've never if you are blessed enough to have never struggled with this but you know somebody in your life who is don't ask hey what can i do to help or let me know if there's something i can do to help show up Mm -hmm. just be there and you don't have to be Susie you don't have to look perfect when you do it in fact it's going to be better if you bring your mess with you Uh (laughs) and you just your chips and your salsa yeah and the Netflix password yeah and you you get in there and you start loading that dishwasher and turn that dryer on and do what you just get in there um because sometimes what you just need is somebody who loves you yeah just a hug and somebody just saying it's okay man like you're gonna be fine everybody's good everybody's good i know for me two things that were really reassuring to me or that really made me feel good and made a difference twice probably in our life uh, since we've had children david's looked at me and he said i could not do what you do Mm -hmm. and i could not handle what you handle and it just meant a lot that he would acknowledge what you have what i have on my plate especially with the kids and the other thing is um just encouragement Mm -hmm. just for somebody just to come along and say you're doing a really good job. I know it doesn't feel that way to you, but your kids are great and they're sweet and they're healthy. And it doesn't matter if you haven't bathed (laughs) three days and it doesn't matter if they didn't brush their teeth last night. It doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter if your house is a wreck. What matters is that you love it. You love them and you're loving them so good. You know, like just a little encouragement goes Mm -hmm. a long way. Um, and I think that's what a lot of us are lacking. A lot of us have somebody who's critical mm-hmm. in our ear. And when yeah. you're struggling, that really beats you down. Mm-hmm. So if you are, if you have a daughter-in-law, which I have a wonderful mother-in-law, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm you know, implying that I have a wonderful mother-in-law. But if you have a daughter-in-law or a daughter who seems to be struggling, if you have a friend or a coworker who seems to be struggling, a little encouragement can go a long way and it could also open the door Mm -hmm. for them to feel comfortable enough to say i'm really struggling i think i need some help right Mm -hmm. and i will say before we wrap up today i will say there is a new treatment for postpartum depression it is an iv treatment takes 72 hours so if you have severe postpartum depression you can be admitted to the hospital under an observation watch 48 to 72 hours you get this iv drug it's called zoreso we are trying to get a treatment facility set up in our area but atlanta which is not that far um, that's where you can go currently if you're in our area and it is a nine day difference 
the majority of women who get this treatment see greater than 90% improvement in their symptoms. So it's kind of a one and done, get things back in order. Because a lot of postpartum depression is triggered by those hormonal changes and this sort of resets your thermostat, so to speak. And um, the change is dramatic. So medicine's always improving. And I think that's a a wonderful Mm -hmm. um, example. It's a real thing. So just don't hesitate to reach out to your healthcare provider, to a trusted friend, somebody you love, if you need help. Because we've been there and we understand. Mm -hmm. Chelsea, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your experience. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, until next time, y'all, stay healthy. Bye. 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 Bye.